We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Play action fake, throw over the middle, it's picked off the Browns have it. Flacco got hit, he rolls out of the head, he runs it, then he throws it, and Ford caught it at the 30, at the 20, at the 15, at the 10, at the 5, he's still going, and he pulls his way in, touchdown, Jerome Ford, a play you will not believe. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Here are the Jets out of the shotgun, Simeon on fourth down, takes the snap, it over the middle, caught by Yaboa. He's at the 15. JOK's got him. Three, two, one. That's it. The Browns are going to the playoffs. The postseason is back in Cleveland. What's up, and welcome in everybody to the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are aiming, uh, myself and Andrew, and our various guests that we're going to have on over the coming weeks and months are going to try to get back on a better schedule. That's largely on me. been a chaotic new year. Back on the consistent everyday schedule. Uh, I will say, Andrew, as I, as I uh, welcome you in here, there's, you know, the, the 10-day window of time is great for the team. It's awesome. They need it. Really slow on the podcast schedule. That's, yeah. uh, that's the drawback, right? Yeah, we're scrambling for things to talk about a little bit, especially because the NFL overall has gone a little quiet since uh, there was no Monday night game. Things wrapped up Sunday night, and then Monday, everybody's kind of taking a day to breathe, it feels like. And then obviously, mm-hmm. you've got a Tuesday now, which is a, a classic off day for any teams playing Sunday. So you expect some news to start to pick back up uh, tomorrow as a lot of teams get ready to try and win a playoff spot in Week 18. So yeah, a little bit of a pause. You're right. And I think it's it's okay. I mean... It's tough. The schedule is is tough. I, I mean, you know better than anybody that the day in day out stuff is is taxing, and I think the holidays are a nice time to you know take a little time and and recuperate a little bit. So I feel, I'll speak for myself. I feel a little refreshed, ready to really uh, head to the stretch run through the playoffs with as many podcasts as everybody else can possibly uh, download and listen to on a daily basis. That's a plan. I will say the NFL gave us a little bit of news. They decided to throw Brad Allen and his crew back into the prime time. They said, uh, God love them. 
God you know, you guys, and said they didn't do anything wrong on Saturday. Yeah, so they haven't admitted anything like that, and they're putting them back in primetime, almost like they prioritize, as you have mentioned, the idea of we're talking about them more than their overall performance, which is like sort of their punishment, that they have to go back out there and perform in right. front of people with all yep. eyes on them again. So I thought that was uh, pretty funny. Steelers-Ravens, what could go wrong, right? Failing up. Yeah, failing up, as they say. Uh, then the uh, let's go through the rest of Brown's news. So uh, Frank Ryan passed away, which is something obviously you never want to hear. He was, I mean, Andrew, I think as far as like looking at Brown's quarterbacks history, he's up there, man. Top yeah. five uh, yes. easily. Yes. Not that it's the most rich tradition of quarterbacks through this franchise ever, but uh, a really obviously special career, including multiple championships, you know, was uh, spearheading a lot of those 60s teams that were really good. So it was like Otto Graham, obviously, late 40s into the 50s, and then you know, some different quarterbacks that were in in and out of things, you know, like Milt Plum and some others. Like I'm just trying to think of like names, not that I've gone back and studied history or anything of these things, but Frank kind of solidified the position in the 60s, was a part of many of those championship teams in the 60s before obviously the Browns' next real run of excellent, excellent quarterback play was – Brian Sipe, right? So uh, I think it's worth noting that that he did pass away. Um, you know, so he is, I think he's going to be a part of a whole bunch of NFL studies and he's been a part of that. I mean, he was a very smart human being, man. And, and uh, just wanted to, just wanted to make note of it. Thoughts and all of those positive vibes to, uh, to his family, but that's a Browns legend. I think he deserves to at least be mentioned on this podcast. So, um, you know, uh, all the best to Frank Ryan's family. A tough time. Um, but a great life. 87 years old, man. I can only dream to live yeah. to 87 and uh, do any of the, th- I mean, the accomplishments that guy pulled off. Yeah, this this time. is back in the days when football players were football players part of the year and then led uh, led a different life. And, and uh, he was a, as a, as a profession, was a, was a uh, mathematician. And so, uh, that, you know, he had a PhD, et cetera, uh, an incredibly impressive uh, academic career after he finished playing football, which is uh, just always neat to hear about. You know, I, I think Herb Street seven, mentioned- seven years is the director of house information systems for the U S house of representatives. There you go. Yeah. yeah you know. So yeah, he, he, he did more than a lot of people can hope to do in their lives. Herb Street mentioned the other day that Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, you know, was between Alabama and Harvard on the broadcast. And I didn't, that was something I didn't know. And was was saying that Tomlinson has his uh, master's in finance, and it's just a good reminder. Whether it's Frank Ryan or Dalvin Tomlinson today, there there are guys in in the league right now, and there always have been that their main their main interests maybe even lie elsewhere than football. They understand this as a as a vocation, something that they can do to make money, enjoy themselves. But it's you know there are other there are other interests for them, and I think Frank Ryan is one of the the great examples of that in NFL history and, and a hell of a quarterback too, as you mentioned. Yeah. So he directed the development of the first computerized voting system used by the U S Congress. So not that those are under scrutiny anymore. You know, seems like everyone agrees on <laughs> that whole process, but uh, you know, he taught, like you said, taught mathematics, undergraduate, graduate level case, Western Yale rice seems decent. Yeah. He retired to Vermont where he continued his lifelong study of math's great unsolved problems. It will make you feel uh, quite inferior if you read about his life. But like I said, he's doing what I hope many of these guys in the NFL um, history are doing. He's donating his brain to the Boston University CTE Center. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we can get a better 
understanding of that terrible, awful disease and how, if there's any way to cure it during somebody's living years. So uh, right on to him, man. What a great person in many, many ways. Back to your Cleveland Browns on the day to day. Um, there's uh, some, some roster stuff here, not anything crazy, but considering what we learned a little later in the day, it, it carries some relevance here. So the Browns uh, tidied up a little bit of the roster. So they signed uh, Sam Kamara to the practice squad and then they released punter Matt Hawk and then a guard Joey Fisher, who was, I think from Shepard, if I recall, who came in. So mm-hmm. that, that does leave a spot open on the roster as we understand it right now. And that sort of parlays Andrew into our discussion about last week on running back that like, if somebody were to sort of wiggle free and a reminder, if a player is wiggling free this time of year, it's, it's really because they're not very good. Like we fully recognize that because we're going to talk about Dalvin cook, who the jets agreed to release today. Now he's going to go through waivers because this late in the year, guys have to go through waivers, even though they've accrued four seasons. It's just a process by which you can't have shenanigans happen from, from the financial or personnel side between like a wink, wink agreement with another team or something like that. So He's going to go through, and I think that like immediately, you and I last week had talked about like if Ezekiel Elliott became yeah. free, right? Yep. Or some team who was way out of it just said, hey, we'll cut a veteran loose here to see if he can catch on and make a playoff run. It's important to understand when I say, and this is a reminder, I have to not say anything on social and just say I'll say it on the pod because it's so taken out of context. I would like them to take a shot on Dalvin Cook. I understand that he has not been very good this year. Hey, here's some earth-shattering news. Go look at the Jets' collective running performance this year. Not very good. So it's important to remember that he he signs on with the Jets thinking, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be the guy that's going to be his quarterback. They're going to be a real contender. And then four plays into the season, you know, as Brees Hall's coming back from major injury himself, so Dalvin's kind of like managing some of the heavier workload, it's Zach Wilson and... We know the Jets didn't collectively respond very well to this, um, you know, overall stress of losing Rodgers. We, they've talked about it. I mean, Robert Salas basically said they didn't handle the quarterback stuff right. The O-line has been brutal, not just a talent perspective, but a performance perspective. Nathaniel Hackett is not God's gift to creativity as a play caller. So this is where I'm at. Like, I want to be very clear. You're not bringing in Dalvin Cook to – spearhead your next four games or something you have one guaranteed game and then you have one playoff game and you don't know how many of those you're going to win so what we are asking when we said this last week was just take a flyer on somebody who could provide a fresh perspective on what you're doing who could give you some fresh legs which i think cook only has 65 carries on the year and could just be a spark in a game right because you're not going to give him 30 carries but say he he performs really well in the wild card game like that wouldn't be crazy to me he's coming into a system that he knows like he knows Kevin's style he's a very um, experienced wide zone runner and I watched some some tape he's not the same ridiculous runner he used to be but like I just think it's wild that people are so dismissive of this I, I, I don't know there's two things Andrew that stand out to me before I throw it to you I think one is people thought there's two people that are very much against this. And I think their, their perspectives are skewed. Uh, And maybe even there's a third. 
the first is the people who had them in fantasy and it went really poorly and they're really pissed about that. And they just think of it that way. Okay. That's the first person out there that I know responds pretty angrily about this. The second is the person who thinks that this is some long-term deal. This is like a game deal with a one game playoff guaranteed gets it right. And they can carry the running backs on the roster to make it work. This is the playoffs. This is a, this is a very specific roster structure for each team. And then the third is like people who are just of the belief that, that the Browns running backs are fine. And it's like, while I think Jerome Ford is sort of like, like a league average player to act like you couldn't have. And this is the same thing I said that people said about Flacco for the most part, there was a bunch of negativity around it, which I understood. But when you put a guy, a veteran into a situation that they are very comfortable with a structure and scheme, there's a chance those veterans can feel rejuvenated and perform well in a short window of time. We saw it with Joe. So being so dismissive that as to think Dalvin Cook couldn't reach deep into the bowels of his ability and pull out a couple games that could matter for you in the playoffs, it's pretty laughable. And, 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 and like none of these guys who are about to be in the playoffs, Jerome, Pierre, Kareem has, but the two that are going to like share the carries the most, it seems haven't been on that stage. So who even knows what that looks like, Andrew? It's a lot, but like, I'm kind of blown away that people think this is some, I think that he's better than Jerome Ford or better than Pierre strong. Long-term you want Pierre strong, no doubt. But for the here and now, it would be nice to have that veteran presence who could potentially play really well in an unexpected scenario. The same way we've seen Joe Flacco rip off a heater. That's kind of where I'm at. Cause it's not a new scheme to him, man. It's like, yeah. it's something he's familiar with and he's, he would be their only experienced successful wide zone runner. And we know I, Kevin likes to use that. Yeah. I, you're, you're so right, Jake. There is a, there's a real strain of especially social media analysis, which is basically let me go look and see what this guy did the last time he played football and then summarize his entire ability as a player from that game. That's what happened when Flacco signed. Everybody was just looking at last year with the Jets and like, see, he's trash. And that's what people are doing with Dalvin Cook. Also from the Jets, which again, as you mentioned, yeah. one of the worst run offenses in the league. So if if you are out here throwing your flowers at Kevin Stefanski's feet every week for getting the most out of Joe Flacco. I have news for you about who else that might apply to probably Dalvin cook, a player who is very talented, has seen it and done it all just like Joe Flacco and is, a, is available specifically with the idea of trying to chase a ring. Now, is, is it guaranteed to work? No, it's not, but I'll tell you what is guaranteed to not work. And that's walking through the playoffs with the running backs that they have right now. They are not going to get enough. They have not been getting enough from the running back position. We've been talking about this for a month. It, the, I remember having this conversation after the Rams game. Like, got, you know, that we've got a run in here. We've got six games left. Why don't we try somebody else? Let's try and find somebody else for this stretch run. We've been, we've been harping on it. Yeah. And Dalvin Cook, you, you don't want to defend his play this year. But in terms of the caliber of player and the levels that he has reached in his career is as good as you could hope to possibly get on your roster at this time of year. There's no doubt about that in my mind. And I'll say one other thing. The, the other piece of analysis I've seen floating around is comparing Brees Hall's performance with the Jets to Dalvin Cook's. 
And the problem there is that Brees Hall is a top 10 NFL running back. So yeah, yeah, Dalvin Cook is going to look worse by comparison, just like everybody on the Browns looks worse when compared to Nick Chubb. Yeah, we're he's not a, he's talking. A, he's a young back. He's a, he's a yeah. really good young back, exactly. like an explosive young back. He yeah. should be doing that. Stuff. We're not talking about a, a a great player here. We're talking about a role player who can fit a very specific role within this offense, and and do it more reliably than any of the backs on the team currently for the next, as you said, few games, as long as they can go. And it makes all the sense in the world for the Browns to explore that possibility because it is mutually beneficial for the player who might not even play beyond this year and the team who desperately needs a player of his experience to come in and join this team because there's there's no waiver wire pickup that's going to hit the ground running the same way that Dalvin Cook is going to be able to hit the ground running in this scheme. Yeah, two popular talking points are like Israel Abanacana passed him up. You think their season has been over. They want to see what the 20, 21 year old running back can do in some pass down situations. It's not rocket science here why they're not playing him anymore. What's the point in playing him anymore when you need to see these other guys get experience, right? So, like, you can miss me with that. And, like, what does he, okay, let me ask you this question, Andrew. What would he have to do to be a value for what you're not going to pay him? anything right you're not going to pay him much of anything the rest of the way so like what what does he have to do he needs one game where he has like two drives where he's really good he's Mm -hmm. really good and leads some wide zone runs maybe it's like the browns are up on the colts 24 20 in the fourth quarter and they need to get two first downs and he's a part of one of those or he rips off a big screen pass in the first half like To me, it's kind of wild to think that just dismiss that a veteran could enter into a specific spot in a rejuvenated amount of effort because he's been being wasted in a place that nobody wants to play this year. And to think that, oh, he cannot do this anymore for just a little, little small window of time. I'm not asking him to come in week six here. I'm asking him to come in, probably not even play quite obviously week 18. I'm pretty much asking him to be there for the playoffs and he might not even matter, but the dismissive nature of like, oh, that guy's worthless. All right. Did you, okay. Let me ask you guys this. Did you have any confidence in Jerome Ford? And Pierre Strong at the end of that Jets game, because what the sinking feeling in my stomach was at the end of that game is like, oh, God, they can't even run it and hold on to the football. And Kareem's groin is clearly a problem or they'd be every downing him. So, like, what 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 do you lose? Like, why are we why are people getting offended that you it's offensive to go out and try to to, to play it? No, look at the the production has been awful this year and they've overcome it. So what if he has? one decent game for you here and that makes it worth it in my opinion so it's just really kind of like i don't know if people forget what week it is or what they're trying to do in the playoffs or they just think the browns it's kind of the thing where like the browns have the same level of continued respect about their offensive line even though they haven't been good for a while people think the browns running back room is better than it is because they just correlate like nick chubb and this year after year success run game wise like it's not it's been a problem i told you like a week ago or maybe more. I was listening to like Steve Smith on NFL network, talk about how the Browns offense is like, Oh, they're running it all over the place. Yeah. And I'm like, right. No, man, they're not, you're not watching the games. Like they're right. not running at all. So imagine again, going down to Jacksonville or going to Indy and getting like 40, 50 yards from him in a rotational role. Like that would be a great outcome. It was exactly what we think that they could use fresh perspective. Again, kind of sort of fresh legs here. Uh, and and like I'm I'm interested in anything. The Browns have been throwing to get the lead, but they have had no ability to run to close it. 
So I'm very interested in trying to swing on somebody who could, who could like, Hey, Dalvin, we need 10 touches out of you today where you're going like a maniac from 2020. Can you do it? Yeah. And, and I think, so the other question, the other angle to this is maybe there's some people that are feeling like there's not room for him on the roster or something like that. My argument would be, you're not replacing any of the existing running backs. No, not at all. The main thing you would allow to do is you wouldn't have to play Pierre strong because they clearly don't want to play Pierre strong as a running back. So strong remains on the team. You have him for the future and he's a special teams player, a good special teams player this year. He has been good in that role. You can, so now your, your three headed backfield is Ford cook and hunt all three, all four letters in their last names. That's, that's meaningful, right? As far as the roster goes, they're currently carrying Jake seven linebackers. They, they've got seven linebackers on the roster and they mostly play two. So between Jordan Kanasich, Tony Fields, Mahmoud Diabati, Matthew Adams, one of those guys probably, probably could be waived and, and moved to the practice squad. And yeah. your special teams wouldn't suffer all that much. Uh, that's kind of where I see the solution is they're heavy at linebacker. They also got six cornerbacks, including yeah. Khalif Halasi, who I think we saw a little bit from, but you wouldn't lose a ton of sleep on him either if he was uh, released and they tried to sneak him onto the practice squad. There are players there that you, would, you wouldn't you would want to lose them necessarily, but I think you'd like your chances at this point in the season of them finding their way to the practice squad. Yeah, the worst case scenario here is they bring on Dalvin Cook and they try him and he stinks. It's not working. Well, guess what we've seen from the Browns running back room as it currently is? Quite often it stinks and it's not working. So I think that the upside play of this for the cheap cost that it would be for what it ultimately could be is worth the swing here. Does that mean I think he's better than Ford, better than Strong, better than Kareem? I'm not even trying to make that argument. You're misconceiving what we're talking about here. I think that we would like fresh perspective. A guy, again, fresh legs relatively here to get a chance to come in and like, hey, Dalvin, everyone across the NFL says you suck. They do. Nobody wanted you. Your your own team let you go week before the season ended. What are you going to do about it, right? And I think that there could be some inspiration too from like watching Joe leave that organization. I think it's the upside of the swing is so worth it to me that it's like it's sort of sort of crazy to think that you wouldn't be interested in making that happen. So I hope they're interested, Andrew. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I would trust that if they don't make the move, it's fine. Not going to come on the show and rip them. But I think that this just makes too much sense. Now, some people have mentioned the Ravens. I guess it's like to me, if the Ravens were to do that, would that does that make the Ravens idiots? Right. If they do that, this team that's clearly hit on a lot of their personnel choices, right? Does it make them dumb? Like, <laughs> I just some of the your the, the the social media reaction of like eight layers of perspective that get missed, or they're sometimes so annoying. <laughs> I don't know what other way to say it. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's a lot like what we talked about with Barnwell yesterday in terms of you can sometimes just tell from the way the argument's being made that you don't need to it doesn't bear engaging with, and I think that's that's the case here a lot. As as you said before, you're seeing people dismiss the player entirely over a very limited stint with the Jets this year, and and it wasn't limited because he's not able to contribute. I think it's probably more likely that it was limited because of everything that's going on in New York. So yeah. Name me all those players on the jets who are overachieving on that offense. That's, ex- that's yeah. There yeah. you go. Even and Garrett you, Wilson looks fairly pedestrian on that offense. 
and I'll say too, like well, people are like, whoa, it's 2022 was pretty bad too. If you look at he he still ran for eleven hundred yards in, in Minnesota. Like he's yeah. and, and it, yeah. was it great? No, but it's better than what they've been throwing out there this year. So that's it. The, that's it. It's a question of just raising the floor for the Browns. That's the way to look at it. And they desperately need to raise the floor in that room. The other name worth mentioning here, just that's available still and has not made a decision, is Justin Houston. And I, I just want to mention that again because it's worth keeping in mind. We just talked about the the Browns maybe do have a little bit of roster flexibility with the way it's built currently. Yep. Uh, seven linebackers really is is pretty wild when you think about it. So um could they if find Ogbo a way to isn't add... back, right? This will tell right. us a little bit about Ogbo. Well, even if he is, man, I you know, I, I know that Alex Wright has been doing some nice things, but you almost can't have enough pass rushers. This time of year, I, 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 I don't know. I, maybe I'm sacrificing special teams a little bit too much, but I, I wouldn't mind having one extra body in that room for this stretch run, just to add a little bit more. Not going to hear me complain about adding more pass rushers. I, I, I totally wouldn't. I, I, I could get the sense of urgency, um, you know, to, to sort of go after him now. It's a little, it's a little interesting if you waited this long, the risk of like, you know, at this point, allowing everybody to have talked to him, right? So maybe there would be a little higher uh, urgency there. But again, like truly, if Ogbo's out, they can't figure this out. They don't feel good about the playoff run coming up. That would make a lot of sense too. So this is not a do or die. This isn't like some unbelievable player hitting the waiver wire and the Browns have to figure out a way to get it done. That's not what we're doing here from either of those perspectives. But it would be nice, in my opinion, to see them bolster with one of those two names. It's kind of fun names to put into the fold ahead of a playoff exciting playoff opportunity here so good stuff Uh, a lot of different moving parts potentially coming up we will keep you in the loop on all of those moves obviously uh, we'll have a show tomorrow with with andrew and uh, we will have uh, jordan zerm join us we'll do some mailbag questions for that one and we'll hear from the coaches tomorrow get a little bit more updates from Bria. maybe we'll figure out some things from the Bengals side about who and who is not playing from their end some fantasy implications for yours truly involved in that one. So we will have a very close eye on it and uh, try to get with the Bengals guests later this week too. So a lot of good stuff coming up as we get back into the groove of things and the playoffs are right around the corner. We'll see if the Browns add anybody to it. So uh, we're going to get to a quick commercial break and then I'm going to wrap up the Jets performance with some comprehensive uh, data from the game and quick look at player grades. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, so quickly want to put a bow tie on uh, Browns Jets. Just looking at some of the data from this one. So offensively, the Browns accounted for 30 points. Their EPA per play uh, was not uh, quite on par with the Texans game, but second best performance since Flacco has taken over. Obviously, the second half impacted that significantly. The throw EPA, 0.09, um, the second best performance outside of the Houston game where they were 0.38. So you definitely like that. The 46.6% uh, success rate was second to the L.A. game. Uh, obviously, strong stuff that they needed to see overall. Uh, the interception EPA stuff hurt because that was returned for a touchdown, as we know, right? So uh, motion percentage up over 50%. You know I like that. That's the highest they've had in weeks. thought they did some good stuff with motion on 33 snaps uh, that were really conducive to, to fi- helping find success. A lot less shotgun in this game. Again, driven by second half trying to just take care of the clock, only 48% in the gun as opposed to 76 and 77% the last two weeks, okay? Kind of digging into the more specific stuff, personnel groupings in this one, 58 plays, the Browns ran uh, a pretty high amount of um, unbalanced extra offensive linemen, so the 27.6% of only one wide receiver on the field is a season high, again, driven by 
losing Elijah Moore, not having Amari Cooper, and then wanting to run the clock out in the second half. The two wide receiver percentage is the highest they've had since the L.A. game. Again, speaking to the depth of the position, the three wide receiver stuff was the lowest they've had in a single game this year. I think, again, that comes with pretty obvious reason. Two tight end and three tight end numbers were really high. Once again, driven by the second half information that we got. The Jets actually played a lot less man coverage in this game than I anticipated. They only played 19%, 11 snaps of 58. They played 46 snaps of zone. So that's kind of been sort of the regular since Flacco has taken over. The game by game, the Rams only played one snap of man. Jags 8, Chicago 14, which is a little higher. Houston 7. And then the Jets, 11, and Flacco really ripped into man coverage, 11, 6 of 8 for 142 yards and two touchdowns, which is a nice change of pace from what he has done against man coverage so far this year. But I just thought that was a little interesting for the Jets, who are a top 10 man usage team, to only be a 19%. The last time the Browns really ran into some man coverage was a three-game stretch between Baltimore, 23 snaps, 26 against Pittsburgh with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and then out in Denver, they played 15 snaps, which is up over 20% again. So we'll see if there's a team in the immediate future here, perhaps wild card round. They, they play the Jags. The Jags only ran eight snaps of that. So maybe they uptick it. The Colts only ran three snaps of man back when they played in week seven. And then again, the Texans only played seven as well. So that's probably for the wild card round, not a huge part of what you will see. Okay, so digging in now to more of the pass information from Flacco in this one. Um, the, uh, let's see here, the EPA per drop back 0.02, again, second strongest we've seen 19 of 29, 301, two touchdowns, the one interception. Um, we don't have any interceptions dropped, which is obviously important because he'd been having a little bit of an issue with that one sack for an eight yard loss, but the explosives are, are what you really like to see in this one. So, uh, they were, uh, not a high deep percentage throw, but they were still able to create, explosive plays so uh, again not taking deep shots downfield a ton but able to complete seven throws of 20 plus yards right so they ended up resulting in 20 yards a lot of yak and this one a lot of yards after catch is one of the Browns shortest distance uh, uh games in terms of how far they throw downfield but were able to turn those into seven 20 plus yard plays and the seven they had is the most they've had um, completion-wise in a single game this year. They had six against Seattle, six against Houston, but resulting in seven 20-plus yard completions is the most they've had in a single game. So obviously the Browns, you know, you hear people talk about uh, the, the best offenses, the teams that are going to the Super Bowl are a top 10 explosive play rate offense. Since Flacco has arrived, the Browns have done the following, right? So they've done five, four, five, six, seven. Right. And in any game this year, like look at the stretch before Flacco started. So if you go from Arizona to Denver, two, three, zero, two, right? They had six against Seattle, but that was an outlier. The, the beginning of the season, here's where it was starting with week one, Cincinnati, two, Pittsburgh, two, Tennessee, three, Baltimore the first time, zero, two against San Francisco, two against Indy, then six in the outlier game against Seattle, then two against Arizona, three against. Baltimore the second time, zero against Pittsburgh in the second matchup, and then Denver two. And then since then, these last five weeks, five, four, five, six, seven, they have found a niche for explosive plays. All right. So Flacco in this game, uh, when he was kept clean, was 14 of 21, two touchdowns, the one interception on a great play by Jermaine Johnson. That'll happen. Can't let it happen. 
but it will happen. He gets tabbed with a turnover-worthy play, and I think they gave him two turnover-worthy plays on the game. I'm th- I'm concerned over uh, whether they uh, gave him a turnover-worthy throw uh, on the slot. Fit. It could have been a couple different things. There was the time he slipped and fell and fumbled, but he got it back. There's the slot fade where the corner, the slot corner made a great play on the football, kind of reacting to the slot fade, but Elijah Moore broke it up and ended up uh, pulling that in on a great effort. Uh, that was uh, late second quarter. Uh, or there's otherwise the second half ball that he had to make a split-second decision. Uh, Sauce Gardner played the corner route from Njoku and the flood concept really well. Thought he actually should have been called for a flag on the ball's arrival, but... That's the only other one I could think of. So they give him two big-time throws and two turnover-worthy throws. Obviously, the first is of the big-time throws is when he delivers that uh, sh- sort of shotgun slide boot out to uh, Njoku on the, on the over route, just over the hands of C.J. Mosley. And then I think they gave him a big-time throw on the scramble drop-off uh, to Jerome Ford, I think. Don't, don't quote me on that, but that's what I think. So he gets a 62 grade. Uh, they they see some throws that he should have made a, a little bit more accurately or a couple better decisions. He was 5 of 8 under pressure, 91 yards a touchdown when he wasn't blitzed, 16 of 25, three touchdowns, one interception, and the Jets didn't blitz him much. They only they only blitzed on four dropbacks. That's a really low number. The Rams were the only other team to blitz him at this low of a rate. He was 3 of 4, 64 yards when he was blitzed, so there you go. Play action throws in this one. This is the highest volume of play action we've seen from him. 7 of 13 for 160, a touchdown, the one interception on the quick screen off of a quick gun run action. No play action, 12 of 16, 149, and two touchdowns. Screens, two for four, and boy, did they miss a couple screens that if they could have gotten him thrown could have been big plays. One was dropped by Kareem Hunt. And then no screens, 17 of 25, three touchdowns, two hundred sorry, 307 yards. Strong stuff. Deep throws, uh, again, only two attempts of 20-plus yards, one of two for 28 yards. Medium was where he was excellent. Five of seven, 132, and two touchdowns short. 10 for 12, 138 and a touchdown. And then behind the line of scrimmage, three of six for only 11 yards and the one interception. So best was intermediate. Left where he was three of four for 60, uh, sorry, 80 yards and two touchdowns. And then intermediate center, he was one of two for 28 yards. Short center, he gets uh, the Njoku yards after catch. So he gets uh, 7 of 8 for 119 yards. And they were good throws. I mean, they're good decisions, especially the anticipation on the second Njoku long uh, catch and run on the second drive, right? So the run game is something else I want to talk about. The run game was obviously the best it's been in a minute. Uh, Collectively, uh, they think they end up going for 100 and. Uh, let me make sure I have the number right. 127 yards after weeks. The last time they were up over 100 was Denver. But but even before Denver, Pittsburgh, they were at 96, then 107 Denver, then 87 L.A., 82 Jacksonville, 29 against Chicago, 54 against Houston, and then up to 127 in this one. So still not a very good EPA at negative .14, but the success rate was better, right? The yards uh, before contact per rush was at 1.68. Here's the last three weeks, .64, .06, and negative .03, so to get... 1.7 yards before contact is an excellent, excellent number. And then yards post-contact per rush, right? So uh, after contact, they got 2.86. So they performed a little bit better after contact. Gun yards per rush, they were up to 3.4 after two really rough performances of 1.6 and 2.1. So you like that. They did have eight uh, rushes of zero or negative yards, which is way too high lately where they're at 11, 7, and 11 the last three games, and then back to 8 this game. 
but they had nine rushing first downs. So they, they did have the negative you know, stuff in the second half where they didn't run it very well, which that largely contributed to it because the Jets knew what they were doing. But they were able to rush for first downs, only 5-1-4 and four over the last three games, but they were able to create nine rushing first downs, 11 rushes of five or more yards, and then two rushes in the explosive category, which is the first time they've hit two of those in a game since back in Denver. So they're um, a little bit of an uptick there. You feel you feel better about it in the avoidance percentage of 21.4% from the ball carriers. Obviously, good to see as well. Jerome Ford, 12 for 64. He gets a 66.5 run grade. Uh, he has 37 yards after contact, three missed tackles, forced four runs of 10-plus yards, largely gap scheme driven for him. He had four zone runs as well. But again, one explosive run of 15 plus yards and a strong receiving grade, obviously, because he goes two for three, 57 yards and that really impressive touchdown. Kareem Hunt runs 10 times for 31. He gets a 59.9 grade. He has 17 yards after contact. He had a long of eight yards, all gap runs for him. Again, not a surprise. And then Pierre Strong, four for 29, but the fumble really crushes his grade collectively. He had uh, uh, 23 yards after contact, which is strong, but... One rush of 10 yards, but the fumble hurts, right? Especially in the moment that happened, keeping the Jets alive, not exactly what you want to see. From a receiving perspective, I want to make sure we hit on receiving. This was one of the the shorter air yards game uh, for them, but the EPA per target was really strong, best they've had since Houston was obviously the best, but going back to like Baltimore, Arizona, on par with those in Seattle as well. So the yards per reception, 97 what you really like is the air yards were relatively low in terms of what they're uh, accustomed to. Like the last four weeks with Flacco, here air yards per target, 12.37, 7.84, 8.5, 10.4. This one was only 6.17, but you're talking about the yak percentage was up at 60%. The best they've had since Seattle. San Francisco is another one they were up over 60%. So they were able to create really, really well uh, after the catch, right? So that's uh, that's the biggest part of this game that stands out. The yak per reception was 9.7, second to only the Seattle game when they had a 10.6 yards after catch. If you look at like the last six weeks here, three, three, six, five, four, and then up at 10, that's it's really impressive, and, and it's something that uh, obviously the Browns needed pretty badly. So uh, again, strong stuff in creating after the catch in this one, and that's what that's what drove a lot of the success for the offense right so uh receiving grades Jerome Ford gets the strongest one catching two of 357 like I said Aikens gets a good grade because he caught one of those that play action counter bootleg for 28 yards David Njoku gets a really strong grade in 89 six of eight 134 creating after the catch David was able to create 99 yards after catch continuing his strong uh, season which is is blowing away the competition taking short routes and creating yards after the catch. By far the most yards after catch for a tight end. Harrison Bryant catches two of three, 14 yards. Elijah Moore, five of six, 61 yards. Obviously catches a touchdown, one of his best games of the year. Good alignment, versatility for him, 14 wide, six in the slot. David Bell plays seven in the slot. Cedric Tillman, 11 in the slot. Tillman didn't grade very well. Still need more from him. He's a rookie out there. I just worry that they were making, uh, hoping that you could see progression from him. Uh, at a more consistent pace by the end of the year. I'm hoping he doesn't make a crucial mistake. I know nobody loved Donovan Peoples-Jones like that. I understand the the warrant here for giving Tillman some opportunity, but uh, there there is some concern over whether Tillman is progressing 
the way he can he can be a contributor that matters, right? Not somebody who's uh, just sort of uh, in and he's doing something so he's blocking well and stuff. But the the critical mistakes which are hurting them, that fourth down throw, for example, where Flack was expecting him to have a sharper route and is really frustrated on that fourth and goal and they don't score like the the cover three against Jacks or against the Bears, like it's all there. He's got to he's got to be more consistent, but you're also counting on him in really big moments to be consistent, right? So that's something to consider. Uh, Talking about blocking grades, I did want to hit on uh, the amount of pressure that they allowed in this game because I think it's obviously important to take a look at uh, total collective offensive line play and what the pressure numbers look like off of that. So uh, I have the Browns uh, allowing, as far as the metrics go through true media, uh, only nine pressures in this game. They're best that they have collectively performed across the offensive line in a game in a while here to, to uh, limit the amount of pressures total. So strong game from the offensive line. Now the ball came out fast and they didn't throw it a ton in the second half, but only allowing nine pressures, really good stuff. Batonio allowed three of those pressures postage two. obviously the jets are a tough team to deal with on the interior of that defensive line. Jerron Christian accounts for two James Hudson, one Wyatt Teller gets the best grade in the pass blocking realm. He only gives up one pressure, but nine total, Again, not bad. The run blocking grades, Betonio gets your best one strong in both gap and zone, although the Browns ran a significantly higher number of gap than zone. Uh, James Hudson's your second highest. Uh, Michael Dunn plays 11 snaps, so he gets a relatively strong grade. Thought he was good when he was on the field. Uh, Harrison Bryant, good. Wyatt Teller, good. The only people that graded down near the 50s, Jerron Christian, who's just not a very good run blocker. He's just struggles with the lower half, doesn't always get his feet where they're supposed to. It's a part of what's hindered him from becoming a consistent NFL tackle. So uh, I'm not surprised by that, but I was surprised a little bit to see Cedric Tillman kind of lower on this list. I thought he was fine. He made some key blocks in this game, but outside of that, I think the collectively the Browns were fine. I mean, if you look at the scores from this game, the Browns 83.2 overall grade is the best they've had in a single game since the Cardinals game. The 73.2 offense grade is the best they've had all season, beating out last week's Houston game, which was a 71.3. The pass grade obviously higher last week, but the run grade higher. The run blocking collective grade much higher in this one for the Browns. And then pass blocking was better overall. So that tells you how well the uh, Houston game they were able to, to overachieve, right? They were able to... Uh, take away uh, some some negative pass block situations and make some throws. I thought they did a really better collective job as an offense in this one. All right, so let's switch to defense now real quick. So I didn't think the defense played that well collectively. Uh, it wasn't one of their better games. I honestly talked about it late last weekend and early this week that I thought they were just trying to get to the finish line in this game without giving up big plays, being a very sheltered approach to it, not getting too crazy. And I thought that was... Uh, pretty clear by what they did in coverage in this one. And and coverage-wise, they uh, were pretty simple, and they played a lot of cover three, a lot of cover one. I mean, looking at what the Browns have done all year, 353 snaps of cover one, 314 snaps of cover three. So those are their two favorite coverages. They've played 140 cover two snaps, and then they've played 54 cover six snaps. They very rarely play quarters they actually played six snaps of quarters which is some of the highest they've ever done registered wise now this is again interpreting people from afar interpreting what the browns are doing they might not even label it quarter schwartz is certainly 
not known to be doing that very often. But in some of these blowouts, coverages can get a little different as you just sort of play a very uh, a very umbrella approach to this stuff, right? So in this one, a little bit of a flip where they played a lot of cover two as, as opposed to they're typically a two times as much cover three in a game. So 18 snaps of cover two, 18 snaps of cover three, 11 snaps of cover six, trying to play to the strong side, which is trying to bracket. Usually a guy like Garrett Wilson with some high-low stuff playing cover two to his side. So you have a high-low bracket there. And then um, one snap of cover zero, which is one of the lowest ones they've had. So they didn't get super aggressive but they did play their 20 snaps of cover one more early in the game than later in the game. And and then, you know, again, I like to track the havoc plays in this one. Havoc plays are again, to remind you tackles for loss, force, fumble, interception, pass, breakup, or sack. The Browns had 12 of those, which is the lowest they've had in a while. 19 against Jacksonville, 20 against Chicago, 14 against Houston, and then 12 in this one. 10 missed tackles where I thought they were pretty sloppy in the open field. Some guys slipping the field a little bit wet, uh, only, um, you know, to, like I said, 10 of those, they had only 10 the last two weeks combined, uh, 16 against Jacksonville, which speaks to something in particular there, but uh, did want to illuminate that they had a 12.5% missed tackle number uh, in the game. They were able to create that interception, the huge interception, and then four pass breakups, and that obviously the key defensive touchdown uh, is, a, is a big part of things. So from a grades perspective, Ronnie Hickman, I talked about it on uh, Chalk Talk. They they did not want to keep him off the field. So obviously it's pretty understandable that when Hickman, uh, you know, Thornhill comes back for the role that Hickman was going to have to either change or they were going to keep him off the field. Well, they decided to change some of his stuff and even um, prioritized him as the free safety over Thornhill at times, which I found relatively interesting. Thornhill played a higher percentage of box snaps, 10 than, uh, than I've seen him play all year, and he played six in the slot to go along with his 46 at free safety, while Hickman played uh, only one snap in the box and three in the slot and then 36 at free safety. The guy whose snaps got cut most from the safety group, you had DeAnthony Bell down to 31 snaps, and then Deron Harmon in this one only played 13 snaps. So they prioritized keeping Ronnie Hickman on the field. He rewarded them, obviously, with a huge touchdown, two stop tackles to go along with his interception, he gets the highest defensive grade in 92.5. Taki Taki in 66 snaps and 88.5. Greg Newsom, uh, 83.7 in 70 snaps. I should mention Taki had five stop tackles, which is great. The, the coverage stuff was tricky because the, there's just check down city to running backs late. So he's eight targets, six catches, but they're playing bail coverage late in the game. And it's just Trevor Simeon throwing in 2.3 seconds, which I think that's something that we should hit on is the 2.32 from Simeon is the second fastest time to throw we've seen all year this year. Now, uh, both Stafford and Trevor Lawrence got it out 2.4, 2.44 to be exact. Um, Justin Fields, the one that's had the longest of recent stretch. I mean, most guys are throwing in two and a half seconds. Houston was thrown in 2.5. Fields threw it 3.34, so that's a bit of an outlier. But the 2.23 from the Jets, which tells you Simeon's getting rid of the football as quickly as he can on almost every single dropback, is the is the fastest we've seen all year outside of Joe Burrow in week one who was playing hot potato with the beat-up calf. So 17 pressures, despite the quick nature of the football being thrown, tells a pretty, uh, a pretty strong story about how well the Browns are able to pressure Simeon. They actually graded him out okay in the 50s, uh, he was uh, only blitzed on nine dropbacks, five of eight, 69 yards in that touchdown in the first quarter where there was a really nice scheme drawn up to take advantage of the Browns cover one look. That's on Chalk Talk if you want to 
if you want to look at it. When he was kept clean, Simeon 25 of 33, 182 yards, but again, 5.5 air yards on all of those throws. Under pressure, 7 of 12, 80 yards in the interception for a touchdown. Not blitz, 27 of 37, 193, and again, a 5.2 yards per attempt. The Browns had no problem with him just getting rid of the football quickly, and uh, it, it played out and you know, keeping them pretty bottled up for most of the game. Miles gets nine pressures in this game. He does get a sack, five hurries. Uh, they did give him two missed tackles, which kind of hurt his collective grade, but a 90.5 pass rush grade, which was great. Zadarius Smith, he gets four pressures in this one. Alex Wright gets the other sack and two pressures, three from Shelby Harris. Those are your best, best grades. JOK gets a 60.7. Uh, he didn't uh, ultimately end up with many um, efforts in the pass game. Again, 6 of 6, 43 yards, was responsible for the touchdown. But after that, again, bunch of running back checkdowns when he's on the field for 70 snaps in the game playing. Obviously more snaps than ever in his career. But he had eight tackles, four stop tackles, and I still thought he was really, really good in this one. Uh, Denzel Ward gives up 6 of 6 for 60. Garrett Wilson involved in some of those. He's a tough cover. Martin Emerson also, but he only gave up three of eight targets for 40. But I thought Ward was fine. Some of those slip screens were given to him too. Not a big deal. Uh, JOK, like I said, is there. But your lowest grades, Dalvin Tomlinson of 47. He gets one pressure. Uh, but Tony Fields in 10 snaps. But it's just a bunch of guys who didn't play many snaps. Siaka Ika, 16 snaps. He didn't do very much and continues to be a concern for me about long-term viability. But it's early. We'll see how defensive tackles develop and change their body over time. Cam Mitchell's down there, but he only had three snaps as well. Run defense grades, your best run defenders in this one. Harmon, Greg Newsom, Juan Thornhill, Shelby Harris, Denzel Ward, DeAnthony Bell. Highest stop tackles, DeAnthony Bell had a couple really nice plays coming up, filling off the edge in the box. Others with a stop tackle in the run game, JOK, Sione Takitaki, Miles Garrett, Shelby Harris, Deron Harmon. Again, not a ton of opportunity there because – the Jets stopped running the football at a point where they were down you know, 15, 17, 20 points at times, and, and obviously in the second half they're just throwing the football a ton, right? So pass rush grades, we talked about Miles, Zadarius. Those are your strongest ones. JOK's fourth. He ended up with two pressures, two hurries. Shelby Harris is at the top of that one as well. And then premium stats for your coverage stuff. Best coverage defenders. Hickman gets the best grade. Taki Taki. Newsom, Fields, Deron Harmon, Martin Emerson, those are your top grades at the bottom. DeAnthony Bell, uh, only on the field for 17 coverage snaps, but he gave up 25 yards according to this. And then, again, everybody else is pretty average. JOK, nobody really hurt the team. So, closing with specials as we do, punting grades. Matt Hawk had three for 155, including a 41.7 net. Now, he has been let go. Corey Bohorquez is coming back, but uh, a credit to Matt Hawk being able to come into Cleveland punt one game like that, hold perfectly, punt really well, given the conditions and coming into the stadium and being able to step in and do that was impressive. We will never forget you, Matt Hawk. Thank you for that. And then Riley Patterson, who's still going to be kicking for your Browns. Uh, obviously, Bohorquez has to get used to him. Um, he obviously had not not his best game, right, but uh, missing the PAT, but he went four or five on those, but he also made his, his field goal from the 30 to 39 range. We'll see if he gets challenged a little bit more. I think it'd be really good for the Browns to challenge him a little bit more down in Cincinnati, see if he can get comfortable making some kicks that matter because we don't know if Hopkins is going to be back. So uh, the kickoff team, right, they created a turnover, which was awesome. You love that. But they did give up a couple decent returns, 23.5 yards per return. It remains a bit of a cause for concern for me just because 
I don't know uh, how well the depth is adjusting. Like the depth is becoming part of on the field. So those guys are giving up. Your better players are going to be on the field, so they're not going to always be involved in specials. I just haven't liked the performances there lately. Like giving up 25 yards uh, as average field position, and I think they've given up a couple explosives outside. And by explosive, I mean getting it out past the 30. Uh, and, and again, they, t- they had a takeaway, a great play by Matt Adams and a great job by Mike Ford picking it up. That's huge. You love that, especially after giving up a touchdown the week before. But they are allowing some creases to happen, and uh, there's some chaos being created on some of those for some better starting positions. So something they, they I'd like to see them clean up heading into the playoffs. But that's it. That's a wrap. That's all in the Jets game. We have a mailbag coming up with Andrew uh, tomorrow for your podcast along with Jordan Zerm. And then we're going to dig into a little bit more of the big picture with the Bengals by the end of the week and get through all of our usual content as we do, guys. So, so very excited about that. Very excited about getting into the playoffs and what that's going to look like and how we cover that for you and ultimately into the offseason where there's going to be a lot of fun discussion and banter too. This pod will continue to be every day, the direction at which we'll, we'll be deciding soon and what that's going to look like for you guys as we try to create a very cool environment here for Browns fans. We'll keep you in the loop. I hope you guys had a great new year again and your start to 2024 is getting off to a good one. So thanks for checking in, spending time with this podcast. You guys know I greatly appreciate that. Check in tomorrow for a great mailbag. Until then, go Browns. Go Browns.